Love a rugby league same-game multi? Then you've got to check out Picklebet same-game multi. Watch your odds and payouts skyrocket when you combine your favorite team's markets like head-to-head, first try scorer, and winning margin. Picklebet, the next-gen betting app and official sponsor of the NRL All-Stars podcast. What are you really gambling with? For free and confidential support, call 1-800-858-858 or visit gamblinghelponline.org.au. You'll never know if you don't go. You'll never shine if you don't glow. Hey now, you're an all-star. Get your game on, go play. Hey now, you're a rock star. Get the show on, get paid. Welcome to another episode of the NRL All-Stars podcast. Barnsley here for another pre-season preview. It's actually recorded on first TLT day as well. We've got four teams being named for the Vegas games. Uh, I'll be chatting a bit more about that later. But we are a bit late with the team preview, so I apologise to everyone. It was just one of those things where there's just so many now and it just takes so much time to get through and it's hard to coordinate everyone. So I'll be finishing them off this week. We'll have six teams previewed, but we'll have two today on this podcast at the start of the week, and that is the Tigers and the Sharkies. To do that, I have resident Tigers fan, podcast veteran, Matty Person on board. Perso, welcome to the All-Stars podcast for 2024, your first episode. Yeah, good to be here, Barnsley. Back with the All-Stars crew. Um, looking forward to the season. I don't know if I'm looking too forward to the Tigers season, but um, <laughs> let's see how we go, I suppose. <laughs> well, well, we'll certainly be talking about plenty of that. Uh, we will start off with the Tigers. And again, just for everyone that's uh, just started on the preseason ones, I am looking for round one, and that's what we're discussing. We're looking for your round one teams, who you can start and who you can not start and who might be options later on. Quick chat about Picklebet. You can go to picklebet.com.au today. They are a fantastic bookie. They often have best odds in market. And when you do, make sure that you sign up and use the promo or affiliate code ALLSTARS, or one word. Really important because that way they know to make sure they take great care of you as an ALLSTARS listener and give you some of the best offers, which they often have plenty of. They've also got great NRL markets up at the moment. So have a look at those because I'm really keen on a few of them. Uh, look, you can go for the best team in New South Wales, and the Penrith Panthers are paying $1.99 for that. Now, I'll tell you what, 2 to 1 for Penrith to be the best team out of the New South Wales teams that are there that is exceptional as a market but also the odds for penny so i'm all over that one i'll tell you the other one i'm all over they've got the top four markets up and some of the big i think value ones the roosters are the fourth favorite to the dollar 83 now everyone's going to say barnsley are roosters man yeah i know but it's almost two to one odds melbourne storm dollar 97 to make the top four those are good odds for two teams that could make the top four, and that's what Picklebet's all about. They've got a heap of markets up there at the moment. You can go on there, have a look, and they've got some great value. So jump on picklebet.com.au today. Make sure you use a referral code or affiliate code, it's often called when you sign up, All Stars. They've got great offers there. They'll take great care of you. Of course, always think, is this a bet that you really want to place? For free and confidential support, you can call 1-800-858-858 or visit gamblinghelponline.org.au. Now, continuing the Supercoach chat. For the Tigers, we are going to start off with the... Let's talk about the gains and losses first because, I mean, really, that's a big thing with someone like the Tigers. The Tigers haven't been going too well, the poor old Tigers. And I think that Benji coming in has given them a little bit of hope. Maybe not even just this season, but certainly for the future. Losses-wise, they had Sean Blore go across to the Storm. Luke Brooks, after his entire career at the Tigers, has gone to the Seagulls. And 
have to say, I think that some Tigers supporters will uh, rue what they were being wishing for with him for a while after they sort of see no Luke Brooks in this side. Uh, Dane Laurie back to the Panthers. And really, the rest of it, no huge losses. No Faluma was was sort of out of the first grade team a lot. Uh, Tommy Talau wasn't really making much of a mark. As far as the gains go, though, I think that's the biggest thing with them. I don't think that they've done enough. Uh, Jaden Sullivan is okay to come in. Uh, Aiden Caesar, pretty old now, well past his his best. And Justin Olam has been dropped at the Storm. And if you get dropped at the Storm, you know, he's not old, but he's certainly in his late 20s, then it's a bit of a question mark on how you're going to go, you know, going to the Tigers if you couldn't perform there in that system. So overall, Matty, I kind of thought that they brought in a, a couple of players that are going to be interesting. But overall, I actually see them as weaker. And that's probably going to surprise a lot of Tigers fans because, I mean, they haven't been going well anyway. And I think there's a little bit of a, I guess at the start of a season, there's always a bit of a positive vibe from everyone. I wouldn't be surprised if they go a little bit better, but they're still going to struggle this year on paper. And I, like I said, I'm going to pinpoint it as the main loss. I really think that Luke Brooks is going to be felt because he might have struggled at times, but he's better than what you've brought in. And he's certainly got experience. And I, I do wonder whether he's actually going to be missed a little. Well, you can't change 11 years of mediocrity overnight, Barnsley, that's for sure. Uh, I agree with you. I was saying that, I think I said it to you late last year. I think our roster is actually worse than it was last year, to be honest. Whether we get the spurt or not, we'll be pretty close to it again, I think. It's going to be another long, hard season. Um, Luke Brooks definitely would have been more suited. He hasn't had the halfbacks. He would have been suited with Caesar, I reckon. We might have seen a bit more out of him, but... He'll go well at Manly this year with that spine and in a different system. Be a new lease of loss for him, but yeah, we definitely haven't um, haven't replaced him. I mean, Bud Sullivan, he's sort of pretty well untried and was struggling at the Dragons, so not exactly setting the world on fire. Caesar, I think, turns with 33, 34 this year, has been struggling to stay on the field over in the UK, which is everyone knows is a little bit softer and he's getting the older age. I mean, his experience would be handy, but I mean. He, I don't expect a lot out of him. Not going to turn the club around, that's for sure. And the couple of the juniors they've got, you'd be lucky to see them in the halves this year. Like they're still very young and raw. So, unfortunately, I can't see a lot of <laughs> a lot of improvement this season. It's still bottom four, if not a third straight spoon. But super catch wise too, but he's not really a lot doing, especially with the buy in the first round. No, it's very true. And I just I I wish that Tigers don't get the spoon this year, but I do have them for bottom four as well. Just for the struggling Tigers fans, I hope they don't get another spoon, but I can't see them not being bottom four. And I will say, like, when I'm looking at the side that we think will be named for round one next week, it's a solid forward pack, but that's probably the only strength that they've got. And I just look at the spine and go, look, if you've got, certainly Appy's good, but after that, Jane and Sullivan, Aiden Caesar, and a second-year Buller as your spine, you're probably going to struggle a bit there. And then I don't understand really, I guess Olin was reasonably cheap, but I mean, when you're a Tigers side where your outside backs are letting in a lot of points and you're going to put potentially like Brent Naden and Olin on one side and that's not going to solve anything. It's actually going to create issues with Olin, I think. So it's one of those things where Olin gets rated as this, as, oh yeah, look, look at the hits that he puts on and people, I guess, that are more casual fans or don't watch the game as much might say, Oh, he's a, he's a good defender. Look at the hits. But he's actually gotten in trouble from Melbourne and Bellamy. And that's one of the reasons he was dropped was because of his defense, because 
he's a bit too slow laterally sometimes. He doesn't read well and it can let him points. And that was happening at Melbourne. So you can imagine at the Tigers how that's going to go. So, yeah, I'm with you on the bottom four. We probably should talk about the draw for them before we start talking about the players. I think the first question is, like, before we even analyse the draw and how good it is, they've got a buy in round one. They don't have a buy again until round 13. Uh, it's a bit annoying, though, in round 13, and that is the big buy round. They're not going to play that first big buy round. The buy round one, though, like, to you, does that cancel out options of West Tigers in your side, or do you think it doesn't matter as much? Uh, not so much the buy itself for the Tigers, just the fact that the Tigers are the Tigers. There's no one really screaming out there which I'm sure we'll go through a few plays shortly that you might put in, but there's not really anyone that's a, a guaranteed cheapie that we know that's going to make a two or 300k that you put in and just not worry about. It's not really any gun from last season that you would pick. Um, we will talk about Coruscant obviously coming up, which could these things could change this season. But still, yeah, it's, it, if, they, if it was a gun side like the Panthers or something, you'd, you'd still pick your Clearies and those guys and Tires and whatever, if you like them, Bays and all those sort of guys. But playing the Tigers, it's so much up in the air with personnel change and coaching staff changes. And so that's more that we don't really know, especially with the split um, first round this year, still three weeks before you see the Tigers team run out. So that's the, the sort of difficult thing. Yeah, it's a good point too, because three weeks is a long time in rugby league. And we see guys get injured at training all the time. So, I mean, you know, you could just imagine starting with a Tigers player, knowing you're missing round one, which actually really three weeks, like you said, before you see him play. And then all of a sudden they're gone and they're not even playing. It's a long time. Uh, but the strength of draw, yeah, it's probably doesn't start off too badly. Um, certainly after the bye for that next four games, five games, it's all right. And I will say six out of their first nine games, they are at home. They start off with the Raiders, or traditionally they do score a fair bit of points against the Raiders. They got back-to-back home games against the Sharks and Eels. Two tough games, but at least they get them at home in a bit of an easier one against the Dolphins and then versus Dragons, which is a, a pretty good matchup. So, look, I would say, per se, probably three out of those five games, they got the ability to compete and, and score decent points, and certainly that can translate to Supercoach. Now, after round six, they hit the Panthers, they hit the, the Broncos, and that's a pretty bad double bit easier with the dogs, but, you know, then they hit the Knights to sort of round out that first 10 weeks, which is really what you want to really look at. And obviously round 13, you've got to have everyone gone probably because you're, you're building for that buy and they're not playing it in that big buy round. So overall, like, I don't think it's a bad draw, but the buy probably takes it down a peg, um, but they do have a lot of home games. I think that it, I've got sort of two thoughts on the draw for the Tigers if I did want players. One of them would be uh, if I'm starting them, I probably want to look at getting rid of them unless they're going like absolutely crazy after that round six game against the Dragons where you're going to get some price rises and some potential good value out of them for that draw. And the other time is going to be I'd target them post that round 13 big buy round because they're going to play the second and third big buy round and not have another buy till round 26. So those look like the most relevant parts of the draw to me for the Tigers. Yeah, and on those... um... The, the home games, three of their home games are on neutral grounds too, which doesn't really help for the Tigers. Did not see that, so thank you for that point. <laughs> that doesn't <laughs> yeah. help at all, does it? No, they've actually only got three games at Lockhart and Campbell, like combined at Lockhart and Campbelltown, which is what yeah, I do. They play um, Panthers in Bathurst, which we did touch them up last year. 
<laughs> after losing about 13 games in a row and coming out and wet and beat them. But then they got a game at Scully Park in Tamworth against the Knights and their home game against the Dolphins is actually the Dolphins' home game and Magic Round. So that draw just gets even uglier if you're a battling Tigers side. On paper, it's not a bad draw, but if you're a middle-of-the-road side like your Cowboys or Manly or something from last year, you'd be looking at that going, yeah, we can get off to a good start here. But I've got no faith at all in the Tigers, Barzy. No, and look, I guess we'll talk about the players now, but when you're talking about the players, one of the upsides of the Tigers plays is that you're not really looking at out-and-out guns that are going to score huge points anyway. I mean, really, when you're looking at sides like the Tigers, Look at the value. you're looking at guys that might present some value, yeah, exactly, or are going to be cheapies, basically. So let's have a look at the guns, first of all. Only one to talk about last year on averages. Johnny Bateman, 61 points a game. Uh, I got plenty wrong last year, but one of the things that I was really sketchy about was people thinking that Bateman was going to come in and just average 70s again. And it didn't happen at all. Uh, 61 points is a well drop from 70 in 2020 and 72 the year before, the two years before he left for the Super League again. And I thought he was quite underwhelming, to be honest. It's one of those things where he did come in half injured. But one of the things that I was very wary of, and I think that people need to be wary of this year when looking at him, at 623,000, he can't just be the guy that he was in 2020. Like that's three, four years ago. You want him to be like that. And he's 30 years of age. He's actually going to turn 31 at the end of this season. It's not a good age for small forwards in the NRL. And for guys like Bateman, we've already seen him get battered around a bit and have different injuries and stuff in his time in the NRL. His Canberra days, he was like between 25 and 27. That's your prime years. These are his twilight years, which unfortunately is often the years that you see at Tigers with the players that used to be good. But when you're having a look at the comparison per se on what he did last year, like he wasn't bad at 61 points per game, but he was still playing near 80 minutes. He averaged 77 minutes for that. So it wasn't like his minutes were hugely down. He was playing a lot in the middle, although we would switch around and that gave him some good base. So before returning to the Tigers at the Canberra Raiders in his last season, he had 23 points per game across his clutch attack stats and his base attack stats. So his offloads, his tackle breaks, his assists, line breaks, tries. And that went down to 14 at the Tigers. So it was one of those things where you always knew, oh, look, there's not as much attack. But I mean, he went from Raiders, so I didn't have a huge amount of attack. And he's gone from 23 to 14 points per game there, which is a big drop-off. And it's a drop-off that you probably don't think is going to come back up. He had two tries, but maybe he gets a little bit more. Um, but only six out of his 20 games were 70 plus. And for a guy that's a workhorse that's got around a 50 raw base, that's not very good. Um, and when you have a look at the years before again, you know, three out of his eight in his last Canberra season, he went 70 plus. And 10 of 20 in the season before, he went 70 plus. You know, he was doing it basically half the time. And now it's about 25% of the time that he's going 70 plus, which you kind of want in that elite category. Um, and his 60 plus numbers, I mean, he, he was barely doing it, Johnny Bateman. Like when you're looking at a guy that's such a worker, to only go 60 plus 45% of the time as a forward almost playing 80 minutes a game, it's just not very good. So I think you can tell Perso at 623,000, oh, I don't see much there for me. I don't want to pay for 61 points a game. And I don't really like what I saw from him. And he's a year older. Yeah, I think you're spot on there, Barnes. There's no value there at all. I mean, even you take his 80 minute games out, he was on um, 65.6, which is not very much higher. He hasn't trialed this year either. So we don't even know exactly where he's going to fit into the side, if he's on the edge of the middle or he's going to come off the bench and he's going to be a bit underdone to start. But yeah, he couldn't go near him. I mean, he's a type of guy 
he's never going to rack up a massive score anyway. Even if he does improve, he'll only just punch it out. Sort of, he's definitely not going to hurt you, especially this season where most of the value with the lack of cheap, he seems to be in mid-range second rowers. So you couldn't go near him. If you're going to go someone that's in that gun status, you want someone that's got a lot of upside to hit you 100 plus scores. Yeah, and probably another good point is as well, like if you're paying around that 630k mark, there's just so many other options, isn't there? Like if you want a gun, there's so many more. Like Cam Murray's like 10 grand more. Like there's got there's there's just so many better options, and I would probably point to Bateman as being the prototype example of someone that if they do have the round one buy, which they do, you don't want to get because he is a lot of money to spend, and he's a lot of money to have on the pine to start behind with. So that's the type of guy that I don't really want, unless he had really good upside. You know, he's probably a guy I rule out just because of that round one buy, and plus because of all the points that I mentioned. But they do have a good fallen gun that might have. Uh, Fallen into a goal-kicking role. We don't know yet. So, Appy Coruscant. Uh, I am hugely intrigued by Appy. When I was going through his numbers, there was a lot to like about it. 572,000 in the troublesome hooker spot. He had a 72 average, actually, when I looked at his 80-minute games last year. And nine, nine games were 80 minutes. You look at the value with his injured games as well, and you sort of think, well... Appy could do a bit here as far as value goes. When he got injured uh, with his jaw, he only played 16 minutes. He had another game in round five where he only played 54. And at the start of the season, he played 46. It seemed to be that his role was meant to be 80 minutes. So all of a sudden, the minutes show a huge amount of value. Um, the last eight games, when he actually goal kicked, he had a 69 average across 76 minutes. So the goal kicking press, I probably might not give him too much. He's averaged 56 points per game in 2023 but that's nine points down from his season before as well. You kind of think that that 63 points should be about a minimum for him. And when you go through the numbers, if you want to look at a ceiling, certainly a 70 plus ceiling, you know, wouldn't be out of the question. So at 572K, Appy is probably one of the only expensive Tigers that I'm considering rolling out with and, and copying the round one by. But we need to know if he's goal kicking, mate. Have you got any inside info? Because in the preseason, uh, him and Caesar both taken turns kicking goals. Yeah, no, sort of inside info there, but Coruscant was kicking while um, Suza was on the field. Uh, Benji was out of the range when Shane's got the flick at the end of last year too, and Coruscant was kicking. He kicked 18 from 21 in the end. So those last five rounds, he was the kicker and he was playing 80 minutes. He played 10 80-minute games last year and averaged 74.3, take out two games when he wasn't goal-kicking and he averaged 76.6. So, I mean, there's a fair bit of uptick there on paper. And he was only, it's only eight points a game extra that he was getting in goals. So that's two goals a game. That's not unrealistic, even in an underperforming Tigers side. And for me, well, the Tigers need him on the field for 80 minutes. So he's far and away their best player. Anyone that comes on and goes to dummy half, whether it's Simpkins or De Silva, they're just nowhere near the level that Coruscant is. So I could see what Benji's sort of doing there. And it looks like he's not going with a bench hooker either. Young Galvin is a bit of a utility Looks like he might win the 14 spot. He's not a dummy half at all. He sort of can fill in in back row, centre, 5-8, that sort of thing. So that might be the player he's going with on the bench. And if that happens, Coruscant looks like a, a pretty good option, actually. Yeah, and I do sort of think that Benji's a little bit old school. And you do see that with some of these uh, players that turn into coaches. They generally come in and learn as they go along, but they normally start off implementing how they played footy, what they know. And what he knows, Benji, really is a lot of 80-minute hookers that he played with and that sort of style of footy. So I do think that he'll see someone like Appy and go, he can do that and have someone like Galvin. 
I guess per se, we do have the split rounds on the naming of the teams. Like one of the things that I think is important is if like I'm going to start with Coruscant potentially, and if I do, I'm going to have a backup plan. One of the easy things is that there's a few hookers around his price or less that you can go to if you're really worried about what bench is named. Like if the silver's on that bench, it might be a bit of a worry because you want Abby getting 80 minutes and that could indicate that it's not going to happen. You could go sideways to a Robson potentially or even some of these cheaper options um, and save some money and use that somewhere else. So there is some options there, but it's probably something that teams need to take note of as well. Oh, for sure. I've got no trust in any of these cheap hookers either. So at the moment, I've got um, Jerry Marshall King and Coruscant as my, my hookers. With that same sort of plan, it's easier to go down than it is to go up. If all these hookers just fail, it's absolute disaster getting stuck with a cheap hooker that you cannot upgrade to anyone half decent. Yeah, and you got to be really careful too because um, you can you, you're obviously going to be locked out of some of your moves once these four teams play this weekend. So if you've got a lot of teams. You've got a lot of players in these teams this weekend in Vegas. Uh, you really have to plan your moves a little bit. Um, but I am 50-50 on Coruscant, but I do think that he's a good option. Uh, I was, I will say to you, person, I'm interested in your input here. I was quite surprised with his base. Like, his base was only at 33 a game last year, and it, it seemed a lot lower than it used to be. Like, he used to have quite a lot of tackles, Appy. And I'm looking at games here that are like 80 minutes to 25 raw base, uh, and a heap of others that are in the 20s and 30s as well, even though they were reduced minutes a little bit. It's, I was a little, I'll be honest, I was a bit concerned looking at that because I just assumed without looking at the numbers that his base would have been a lot higher last year. Yeah, he's never really been a huge base um, hooker. Well, it's, it was higher than what it was last year, obviously, but yeah, it's never been huge. He's always relied on attacking stats to be relevant to the coach that scoots out a dummy art and getting a few line break assists and tackle busts and things like that offloads in between, whether it be attached to a trial or not. He sort of seems to rack a few of those up consistently. Uh, it all depends on the type of forwards. That's the other thing. And yeah, taking a gamble, taking Torres here, obviously. But if he's mud and one of the Earls actually do start playing 60-odd minutes, then it's an easy downgrade and use the money elsewhere for me at the moment. I'm just... That's probably the reason that I'm looking at Torres more than anything else, even with the buys, because I just don't trust any of the cheap hookers. Uh, that's why I'm sort of mm-hmm. trying to Slip both of those guys in. I looked at, yeah, so Shane Carr, pretty sold on, but Gorosau is just a sort of a spot filler. You can easily move him on, pick the, as you said, pick the silver or Simpkins is on the bench or whatever, but I just don't trust those cheap hookers at all. I know particularly either. Um, we'll know a bit more when TLT comes, obviously, but it, it is the concern for me with Gorosau and the thing that, that has held me back just throwing him straight in is that, um, the year prior to 2023, he had a 40 raw base, and last year he only had 33, which is, even though he wasn't playing 80 all year, it's 68-minute game average, 33 raw base is terrible for a hooker. So yeah, it's not great. 80 minutes the year before, he was sort of a 46-47 average, and he barely scrapes 40 as a base 80-minute hooker. Um, so that's not great, and it should be a lot better, and he used to tackle a lot more. So... That is the red flag, along with, is he going to play 80? Pretty hard to, pretty hard to tackle when you're standing under the goalpost for half the game, isn't it? Well, there is that <laughs> as well. Um, although, also, like, obviously, if he goal kicks, it, it alleviates all that concern because all the base that he misses out on and he ends up a below-average hooker at base, he, he ends up picking that up in his goal kicking anyway, so it doesn't matter. But I guess you always have to look at the worst-case scenario first. So in the worst-case scenario is maybe he plays 60, 60 to 65 minutes, he doesn't goal kick, 
and then you're in trouble, I think, at 572K. And that's the worst case scenario, I reckon. Yeah, 100%. If he... <laughs> He's not playing 80 and not goal kicking it, yeah, playing 65 and he's turned down 33s and you've wasted your time there. He's um, lowest score in an 80-minute game last year was a 48. So, yeah, that's not too bad, but um, it's definitely a concern. He's no run-home lock-in, that's for sure. Yep. He did have the two tons, 100 and 120, so he can get some bigger ones if he's got some scoring in there. He was a fallen gun. Let's look at rising cuts. Stefano. I don't remember a more polarizing super coach front row the last couple of years than Stefano. Always looks like he's got so much potential. We thought he was a great cheapie, and the last couple of years he just hasn't come along. Um, twenty twenty three, he did have a bounce back. Like twenty twenty two, when we thought he was going to bust out, he only had thirty points per game. And twenty twenty one, it was fifty two, so it was a huge drop off. He was always going to pick back up, and he went from thirty points per game in twenty twenty two up to forty eight points per game. Now. That's still not great when you consider the minutes. And I guess that's always going to be the concern with uh, Kamaru. It's He was already playing a career-high 46 minutes last season. So how much upside could there possibly be? He's 494500 so he's not particularly cheap. And to be honest, even if he was 400000 I would have a lot of concern. Because at 46 minutes, you know, what's the upside for a guy like him? And to me, I, I sort of think that 50 is probably his ceiling as far as how much he's going to play. And that's going to give you an extra four points a game of value, which isn't good enough. And you don't really want to pay for 51, 52 points per game either. It's just none of it's really selling me. And I think one of the biggest stats that really just made me go, you know what? There is absolutely no way anyone should be looking at him, even though he's been a bit of a rising gun for a few years, is that 90% of the time he went 60 plus. He just cannot do it. And he has done it with a raw base of 42 and hardly any tackle breaks or offloads per so. And he has these... Barnstorming runs every now and then where you see like three tackle breaks and an offload and you go, oh, that's what Stefano is or that's what he should be. But he just doesn't do it enough, does he? Yeah, he doesn't get the consistent minutes enough either. That's the biggest problem from a supercoach perspective or sort of NRL as well. But um, he only played five games over 50 minutes last year, an average 62.8 in those five games. Uh, one of those games, he only scored 38, which touches on exactly what you're talking about. And one of those games was a 78 with a try, which was his highest. So 69, 64, and 55 in the other three. There's, and again, it's a very small sample size, so you couldn't have anything near him at the start of the season. But I am interested to see what sort of role he plays under Benji, whether Benji wants him to step up and be that that um, young alpha and plays him 50, 55 minutes. But, but uh, he definitely wouldn't put him anywhere near anything else but the watch list to start the season. Had a couple of good runs in the trials that I liked. He did look quite good. His front row partner, Clemmer, only played a career low 50, 51 minutes. So, I mean, it's not even like there's minutes to steal off there as well. And you got Twile on the bench as well, who we know can just handle the minutes and Polo as well. So, mm. like, there's a lot of middle forwards. I'm not saying they're good middle forwards, but there's a lot of middle forwards at the Tigers. So, I can't see big minutes for any of them. Big Ball's pod time. Uh, big Ball's pods are pods that are going to be owned by even less than a pod. And, uh, probably take a, a lot more risk and a lot bigger kahunas to do, that's for sure. But can they pay off? Can you see a, an inkling of gold in there hidden away that might come through? Isaiah Papali'i, we knew he was going to drop off from the Eels, but, jeez, it was a big drop-off. He's coming in now at 568000 So, I mean, like we talk about a back row like Bateman per so dropping off and how we're not interested. He's 625 odd thousand. So it's a fair drop down to 568,000. And in the 500, you can find a bit more value. 
He only averaged 56 points per game in 2023, coming off 79 and 78 at the Eels. There was always going to be a drop-off. I don't think that uh, many of us thought it was going to be that immense. He only had two tries last year. He had 10 in 2022 at the Eels. So I tend to think that he can go up in tries, and he should be really looking at three or four at least. Uh, His base went from 52 at the Eels to 45 at the Tigers as well, which was a big drop-off, and that's a worrying sign because... Normally, one of the constants in, in Supercoach, but in real life, is even if you go to a worse team, your your base sticks. And it going down by that amount, 52 to 45, is a big drop-off, is a worry. His base attack, so his offloads and his tackle breaks, were great at the Eels. He was doing 15 points per game. That dropped to nine as well. And again, you don't think that that's going to drop off as much. I expected the tries... I didn't expect the raw base drop off, especially, and to a lesser extent, the the base attack dropping off quite a bit as well. So he said all the right things this off-season, Perso. He said that he's learnt from some things last year, didn't expect it to be as hard. He's going to make amends this year, and all, all the pre-season talk is there. I do think he'll be better. Uh, I, I thought he was great value in draft. How much better do you think he's going to be for the Tigers this year? All depends on the hell with the halves go. Well, he could bounce back, that's for sure. He looks... In the trials, he switched back to the right edge, which is his preferred side. Spent a lot of time outside Luke Brooks on the left last year. He's completely lost. Um, he did look fresher and keener in the trials. He was sort of, you know, that bit more of a pep about him that he used to have at the Eels. But when he's camped down on the edge, it's, there's only so much work he's going to do in a side that's struggling for possession to win the possession every week as well. So that's sort of probably a factor to his base going down and. Yeah, he's attacking upside. All depends on what ball they can, the Tigers can get him in. Some good situations where he can use his footwork and run in the lines and all that stuff he was doing at the Earls where he was electric on that right edge. So he's definitely got some upside there. That's um, Again, you wouldn't go near him to start with, but you'd certainly take him over Bateman if you were sort of looking at a bit of upside there somewhere at the Tigers' side for whatever reason. But um, he can definitely bounce back to a degree this year. I don't think he'll get back to the height deals at the Eels because the Tigers is nowhere near that good of a sort. But um, definitely some upside in him. Yeah, and I do look at some of these matchups and go, you know what, I, I kind of like him against the Raiders in their first game uh, and then in their fourth game against the Dolphins and fifth game against the Dragons. There's a few good matchups there for him, running at some halves and some edges there. But I, I obviously couldn't start with him either, the same as you. Um, he's probably the most exciting prospect for me to watch, so as far as value goes uh, in the Tigers pack, I think that he's going to be at 65 points per game this year. I do think that he'll bounce back a little bit. We just won't see the, the Eels properly. Right, the controversial take or mistake that some coaches might make, especially some uh, greener coaches that maybe haven't played super coach too much, I say it all the time, people get carried away with name value a lot. And Justin Olam is only 423000 mm-hmm. He's always cheap, though. And there's a big reason for that. It's because he's he's not very good. And I say that with all respect to Justin. I don't want him to come and put the shoulder into me. But <laughs> he's uh, scored 41 points per game. So for super coach purposes, last year, he wasn't any good. It was 10 points per game worse than 2022. But it is a trend per so. You know, the last three years, he's gone 56, 51, and 41. And look... He, he doesn't score a lot of tries. It's just not him either. So there just isn't really that much upside. Like if he's only scoring half a dozen tries at the Storm each year, he's not going to score many at the Tigers. And he just doesn't have anything going for him at all. So I'm not even going to go through the numbers. I'm just going to throw him out there as a cautionary tale to, to new super coaches. To don't, don't think 423000 is cheap. 
7% of his games in 2023 went 60-plus. And if you think, oh, that's an anomaly, well, it was only 30% when he was going okay in 2022, and that's still not very good. So he's just you've got to stay away from those guys that you you think might have a new lease on life and stuff or might be um, a bit cheaper, but really they're just not particularly super coach relevant. No, nah, completely not. Um, I, don't, I don't even have any confidence in holding spot in the side, to be honest, <laughs> after last year. He got dropped at for his defensive lapses at the uh, the storm at a time when the storm had a plethora of outside backs out too. It was like it wasn't like it, <laughs> it was Marion Seabay and Young Tanamapia that he was he was um, preferring over Olam. So yeah, it's not super case relevant, but I think. Yeah, if he didn't come from the storm and have all the narrative about you know cult winning culture and, and all that sort of stuff coming over, then he almost seems like a no for Luma two point doesn't he? Yeah. I'm, Probably worse. He hits the highlight reel with those big hits he does, and you know that can sort of trap people and go, "Oh, he's a good defender." And, uh, he's at the back end of his career now. He's probably playing his best footy what, five years ago, advancing. He's pushing thirty now. So another guy that I think is going to be much more controversial is look, Dream Buller, the Dream had a great year, five hundred eighty-three thousand zero interest. Now he's got fifty-seven points per game. There's a lot of worries with having him in your side. I've said it a lot of times, you have to have two gun fullbacks, in my opinion. I never tell anyone how they need to build their sides, what sort of template sides they should do. But the one thing that I do stand on is two gun fullbacks. There is too many good fullbacks to not have two absolutely out now elite tier one guns because there's half a dozen of them to choose from. And Buller is a fullback only. It just it cancels him out for me. But there is some Tigers fans. I'm going to say it's the Tigers fans because, you know, a couple percent ownership there. They're going to jump, jump on Dream. And at five hundred eighty-three thousand, he's two to three hundred, four hundred thousand cheaper than the top options. You know, I guess a lot of people think that they're going to get some value there. The other counter to it as well, per so fifty-seven points per game, dream rookie season. We've seen it before too, where where guys struggle in their sophomore season, their second year, they found out a little bit, they targeted a bit, and they actually struggle a little bit in their second season after their breakout, and and that could happen to him too. So I do think that he'll score sixties this year. Uh, but it may not happen early on, and it certainly, surely can't be looked at as an option if he's only fullback as a as a position for your super coach team round one. Absolutely not. Uh, full uh, fullback, you've got to go with two premiums uh, because all the fullbacks are not dual. Pretty much all the gun fullbacks aren't dual now, so you've really just got to toss the coin between the top six guys really that you want to go with. And Bullock could average sixty six this year and be the tenth best fullback in super coach. Yeah, and that's a really good point too. You've got to look at value at position. And you know, it's there's guys that could average seventies that are not going to be in the top five in, in, in fullback options. It's it's just such a stacked position which tells you why you need the two. Look how well Gutho went last year and no one's looking at him because there's like four or five, six options that appear better than mm-hmm. him. Uh, except for diehard Tigers fans that are any sort of um, casual super catch players would be picking Buller. So mids and cheapies, there's only a couple to really talk about. Uh Paolo, is projected to start at 13. On initial look, that sort of made him interesting. But when you have a look at the numbers, you sort of go, well, at 420,000, he wasn't as cheap as what I was hoping when I looked at him. And he actually got his minutes already. You know, last year he averaged 49 minutes a game. The year before he averaged 43. And he only went to 41 points in 2023 from his 40 in 2022 for Supercoach. Got an extra six minutes and equated to one extra point a game. Not very good. You could look at it as an anomaly, but he did play 23 games last year, so he had a pretty good sample size. Started for a lot of them, and 
the thing is that if you look at his starting games only when he was starting in the 13 jumper, he still only went up from 41 points to 42 points a game. So there was barely a, a blip. It's one of those ones that when I first saw it projected that he was going to start per, so I thought, oh, he might be an interesting one to look at. And then when I looked at his price tag and his numbers, I kind of realized that he already had his season where he got a chance and it was last year and it just wasn't very good. And that's what he's priced at. Yeah, I don't even think he'll start going off the trials. I think Seafarth will be the 13, but um, 11 games last year, he played over 50 minutes. Some of those he played over 60. He only averaged 46. Highlights exactly what you just said. He said absolutely no go zone. PPM is nowhere near good enough unless he improves out of his skin this season. Like He's not a bad NRL player, don't get me wrong, but um, he couldn't look at him for season players. The Seafarth is the alternative, and he's at 326,000. Uh, he only averaged 29 minutes a game last year. Funnily enough, you got the same minutes issue uh, where 29 minutes a game last year equated to 32 points, which is really good PPM. But the year before, it was 45 minutes a game, and he still only scored 32 points. But I think he was on the edge a bit, though, in that year. But still, that's a yeah, big disparity in uh, in PPM. Do you think at 326, if he's named to start 13, are you going to look at him? Not for round one with a Tigers boy. I want to see it. And that's the bonus you get. You get another extra couple of games. If he comes out and he's playing 50, 55 minutes and scoring around the same, then he looks like a decent um, option. You can palm him off for one of the other back rowers that everyone's going to have that may not be far. And so you definitely couldn't start with him. But there's no stats at all to back up. Seafarth is going to be anything anywhere near relevant except just watching the eye test and the minutes, I suppose. So it'd be a pretty ballsy player to start with him when you're around one sort. So I don't see. If there wasn't as many mid-second row forward options, maybe you'd look at him a bit more if he got the starting jersey. But because there's just so many of them, it just cancels it out. We'd have to have an absolute... We'd have to have a a nuclear explosion on TLT to even look at him as an option with all the other ones. We'd need so many mid-guys not named in the second row forward to even have a look at him. But Caesar is someone who has been a lot more popular. And I think that he's lost a lot of popularity as... The preseason's gone on, uh, particularly because we thought he might kick and he may not kick. Even if he does kick, though, I've got to tell you, I looked at him. I haven't had him in my side all year. He's 345,000. So, I mean, it's decent. He's halfback 5'8", dual. You know, that's decent. Um, you can put him at 5'8", which is a troublesome position. We don't know what to do there, especially for that second 5'8 spot if you've got a gun in the first. He seems to tick the price boxes and the position boxes. But when you have a look at it, like he last played in like 2019, he turns 33 this year, and even when you have a look at what he was doing before, it just wasn't any good. So <laughs> it's one of those ones where I actually didn't even look at him, even if he had the goal kicking. Like I, I still wasn't interested with the goal kicking. He wasn't super. He wasn't super coach relevant in his peak, was he, Barney? Oh, and I think it was so long ago, person. So people can't even find the averages. So let me remind everyone: 2019 back. Playing 80-minute games as a half, he went 38, 35, 42, 35 points per game. 2015, he actually averaged 60 points per game. Uh, but like his last four years were terrible, and his last four years finished like four years ago. So that probably tells you all you need to know about Caesar. He's at, everyone can get lucky with attacking the house per so maybe that happens for him, but it just seems very, very unlikely. Oh, he's a massive no-go for me. For a number of reasons. You get the boy, you get the age, you've got injury history. Even when he was at his peak, he never was really super coach relevant. It doesn't look like he's kicking goals. He might slowly make you at 80K, and then you're stuck with a guy that you can't really upgrade to anyone, and it's going to cost you a trade. And, uh, I don't know. For me, there's better options. 
because I think every most people will be loading up with three guns in the halves. I think so. I mean, there's probably a better option for a cheaper five eight that you're going to slot in there as the, as the, that might make you that hundred k over a few weeks. But see, so, oh, it seems to be the he's the epitome of the guy who just gets stuck with him. You don't know what to do with him. You're going to have to use a burst to get rid of him. Yeah, oh, I've got zero interest in him at all. And I'm sorry, Tigers fans, but that is the end of the Tigers talk. We need to talk about Sharkies. They are far more relevant. Thank Christ for that. Four <laughs> <laughs> Supercoach, far more relevant. Do need to take a quick break from the footy talk to talk about a brand new partner of the All-Stars podcast, and that is oneworldcourier.com.au. You can jump on One World Courier and have a look, but if you own a business, no matter how small or big, they can take care of all your freight and shipping needs. They also can help you out just if you work somewhere and you're in charge of shipping or you need to get courier services done. They're the best in the market. And I'll tell you why One World Courier are the best. Because they have a platform that basically compares the market, allows you to choose the best service and the best price for you. If you go on there and sign up, then you're eligible to start looking. If you need to ship or courier anything, just go and have a look. They'll give you all the different prices and services that are going to be available for you in your market. And you can just choose the best one for you and the cheapest or the one that you think is going to give you the best service. But I tell you what, when it comes to service... One World Courier will give you the best. They've got five-star service, I guarantee it, and they are fantastic to deal with and really unique in market. They've got that compare-the-market uh, ability with their platform and everything as well. They also take care of all the shipping and everything as far as making sure you've got a warranty included and they track that shipping from point A to point B to make sure it always gets done great and professionally. So jump onto oneworldcourier.com.au today. When you do, go to sign up just to create an account if you want to see some of the rates and things to compare them to your current service. And when you do that, there is a referred by box. Just make sure you do referred by all stars. Just all stars is fine. And that way, I guarantee they'll give you some of the best service, but also they'll make sure that you get some of the best rates to start with as well as a referral from the all stars podcast. But go on to oneworldcourier.com.au and sign up today. They'll take great care of you. They'll give you the best rates, and uh, they'll look, also give you the, the safest shipping service for twenty twenty four. Now, I actually quite like Billy Burns in here. I thought he showed some glimpses last year, but losses wise, they lost Matty Moylan. He was at the end. That makes sense. Wade Graham was at the end as well. Played great for them for a number of years, but it was time for him. Connor Tracy was quite a loss, though. Um, he's done some really good things for them, filling in, and I think they're going to miss his utility value if they end up injuries in that back line anywhere. But I'd probably say that overall they're around the same. I mean, you've got to factor in that guys like Teague missed a lot of last year and they're back and healthy. And I think they're around about the same. Um, but for me, I kind of have them penciled in for top eight and maybe a range of sort of four to eight. Uh, I don't think they'll fall out of the eight, but it's going to be tricky because they haven't done much with their draw with their uh, roster per so. And it's one of those things with the Sharks where, I always say like that was a kind of my second team because I live in the area. Uh, I've always, you know, had a wanted the Sharks to do well, even though I'm a Roosters fan. And they just lately, especially, they just don't seem to buy. And I did think that there was opportunities to kick the tires on, like offering an Ezra Mam a lot of money. You know, they they need someone else with Nico. And I, I'll go out on a limb here and say I actually think it's unfair when you look at that Sharks roster and you look at what they do year on year to put so much on Nico, which keeps happening because he's got no one else. There is no other star in that team. The spine had Moylan, Kennedy and Brayley in it, and he had to do absolutely everything. And I think he did a pretty good job of doing that. He just needs someone else. And 
I always wonder why they don't do it. And the other thing too is that they seem to need a middle forward. They need, needed a front row. They did do that at least, but Fanua Blake's not coming until next year. Yeah, hundred percent, Barnes. They'll see where they are. Um, they've got a pretty handy early draw again too, which would put them in good stead for the season. But it, it, like if Nick A goes down, you'd have them missing the eight. That's how important he is to that side. Look, if he was to miss six or seven weeks with some kind of injury or something worse, they they'd be gone. They got a lot of aging. Sort of middle still, the Finnegans and McGuinnesses and guys like that. The roster hasn't improved at all for this season. But it Blake should be a decent signing for him the next season. If he was in that side this year, you'd be liking it a lot more. I think it's just again at the, the sort of crunch end of the season. They haven't quite got that X factor outside of Nico that's going to get them to beat the top sides in those type games. It's a good player. Kennedy's a good player, but he, he's like a, a good finisher on the back of your block plays and that sort of thing. He doesn't doesn't really create too much on his own. Trendle, he's sort of not hasn't had a lot of games. Uh, he's a similar sort of player. Braley's a good, solid hooker, but he he's not an attacking hooker. It's, it's everything's on Nico, and he's playing left, right, and everywhere. So I think you're right in your summation of the Sharky. Yeah, you, you throw for Newell Blake in there, and you throw a, a secondary playmaker semi star like an Ezra Mam or something. And I reckon that the Sharkies are such a good side. But that's all they need, especially with their two edge forwards, Wilton and. The core are two of the best line runners in the comp. Mm. They've got great edge forwards. Well, their draw that you mentioned, uh, it starts off pretty decent. I, I do, I've had a few uh, veteran super coaches say to me, Hansi, I reckon that the draw might be overstated a bit. And I agree. I, I don't think it's as easy as what has now been made out because the round five buy is pretty tricky. Like it kind of, it's not going to stop you from getting sharks in, but it's going to be annoying when round five rolls around and you've got to, having Nico, you know, holding through. And... No, he certainly wouldn't lay it up. Yeah, on. yeah, exactly. But they split the first four rounds with home and away games. They start off with the Warriors. Uh, then they got two. Well, they've really got three good games after that, though, which I'm really interested in, in the Bulldogs, the Tigers, and the Raiders. And I think that's really what people are looking at. And it's fine, you know, look at the first month because it's an important part of Supercoach. Their first month is very good. Only one of those sides are probably going to be top eight contenders this year. And then after the bye, it does get a bit harder, but then they do have some easier games after it gets harder. So Souths, Cowboys, not the worst, but definitely tougher games. After round nine, it's horrible. And then they, well, Yeah, well, eight and nine, they get the Raiders and the Dragons, but that's that's basically where it finishes, right? And then they've got the Storm, the Roosters, Panthers, Eels, Broncos, Dolphins, bye. That's a tough run. It is a tough run. Although the, the round 13 is the, um, the big bye round, so there is that, but... I am looking at Sharks players definitely to start with. I think that the first nine weeks is good for them. Um, maybe not as good as what's been made out potentially, but it's still a very good draw for me. So I'm looking at having at least a couple of Sharks in the side. I do think they've got one of the better draws. You've done a lot of draw analysis lately. You know, do you, do you, Are you sort of targeting at least to have a couple for that, especially the first month of footy there? Well, I have one at the moment. <laughs> Not sure if I want to take the punt on one of the outside backs for the draw because of that. The first month, it's just a, it's a bit of a grain of salt thing with the draw. The, the, an easy draw, everyone comes back full of enthusiasm and ambition and at the start of the year and they're fully fit sides. They all defend a lot better. And the, the weaker sides don't sort of get exposed as much until sort of around 6 to 12 where they start getting injuries and they've had a few losses rack up and their depth starts to get tested and that sort of thing. So... Having some of the, the bottom four sides early on isn't necessarily guaranteed wins. That's that's for sure. Well, I mean, last year, Bulldogs and Dragons, after four rounds, both had two wins and two losses and then parted 
completely to the bottom four. Tigers didn't win a game. That's so. Uh, <laughs> and the Sharks have got an absolute stranglehold over the Tigers in recent times. So they've been round three. It's quite juicy. And then, the, as you said, the round five by sort of you wouldn't really want more than, I don't know, two or three. I mean, Nico, we'll talk about him. But if you're looking for a bit of an edge and a sneaky thought in the outside backs, maybe you'll pick one of one of the wingers or a Ramian or something like that. Um, I'm going to do a sneaky reveal about my outside back that I've got when we get to him. So <laughs> don't worry about that. Yeah. But uh, even in the chorus, you know, with, with the amount of, um, which we'll talk about him too, but, you know, there's that much value in the back row at the moment. I, I, I just can't really load up on the Sharkies with, him with that draw. It looks quite soft. Let's talk about their guns. Nico Hines is obviously going to be the first one. 970,000, most expensive player in the game. That's because he was the best player in the game at 95 points per game. Now, he's on an upward trajectory for a few years now, going 78, 86, and 95 points per game. He's just been outstanding. In the last couple of years, he's been the number one super coach option. And that's probably one of the things that perplexes me a little bit when people are going cleary over Hines. I don't understand that. because, And my responses have been very straightforward and simple. Hines draws better, and he's a better super coach player. It's just, it's facts. You know, he's been the number one super coach player. He's got a better draw. I don't understand what what arguments there can be for a harder draw and a guy that's scored less per game in Cleary. Um, and the prices aren't that far away, so you just pay for Hines. I am always astounded at the numbers when I look at it for Nico Hines. I always know how good he is. I give him heaps of credit. Some people probably think I give him too much credit, but as a super coach player, 16 out of his 20 games were 70-plus. That is absolutely elite, and that is very safe captaincy territory. Nine out of his 20 games, which is almost 50% of his games, he went 100-plus. Like, that's ridiculous. And then two of his hundreds were 150-plus. His season uh, is about as good as what you'll see from the non-Vlandy's ball of 2021 season where you got Turbo and Cleary and everyone going crazy. He... Had a 180-point game, his first game last year against the Dragons. Uh, he does like to beat up on some of the lesser teams. And when you're having a look at the guys that he's playing against in that first month of footy, like he's playing the Raiders. He finished last season playing them and put 127 on them. He put 156 on the Dragons and 180 on the Dragons last year. And that is just insane. And then when you're having a look at some of the other ones, well, you know, the Tigers, well, he only put up 109 against them. So, I mean, I guess we can say they were hard for him. <laughs> it's just it's just ridiculous when you look at the numbers per so. And I never yeah. normally say must-have with guys that are stars or really expensive. I always say there's so many different ways to skin a cat. With Nico, I say must-have. He's the first player that everybody should pick in their side above every other player you pick. Yeah, I agree. You know, my two, the must-haves, I don't ever really say there is a must-have except for your bottom job of cheapies with good job security. But... Um, the... <laughs> He is a must-have. Look, you're a brave man starting without him. I, mean, I, I dived a little deeper into those stats against the sides he plays in the first seven rounds as well from last season and 2022. Got him more looking at 2021 as his obvious reasons. That was the outlying season. And he was back at the Storm back in those days too. So 23 games against the sides he plays in the first seven rounds over the last two seasons. He scored 2,433 points with an average of 105.78. Four games against the Warriors, there was 105. Four games against the Dogs, 97. Three games against the Tigers, 105. Three games against the Raiders, 83. Two games against the South, 37. Three games against the Cowboys, 104. Four games against the Dragons, 143. Tell me a reason why you can't start with him. You have to start with him. 
Well, I mean, for a guy averaging 95 in price today, there's still 10 points of value there for his first couple of months. Like, <laughs> it's just ridiculous. And especially in those first couple of games, if the dogs and tigers do shit the bird, then you can... And he's also just a easy captain option too. So, I mean, if you don't start with him and he does go berserk in that first month, you're scrambling to try and find 1.1 million to get him back. Well, this is the other thing. Like, he very rarely was below the 900s in his price. It took him until around 22 last year before he went below 863,000. Oh, sorry, 853,000. Like, that's not much fluctuation at all. And really, you know, he didn't get to the 800s until around 12 before the, the first buy that they had in the origin period. It's one of those things where you just fall so far behind. And I think one of the things that people forget to attach as far as value when you're considering these options is that when you've got these top tier options, you have to factor in the captaincy value because your next best option could easily as a captain score significantly less and put you behind by 100 or 200 points. And that can happen. And there's even teams that don't have Cleary or Hines that I've seen are probably newer teams, but if you don't have either of them, like who are you captaining here? Because it's, it's tough I guess you could have a Ponga. There is some other good options, but geez, it's just his consistency is unparalleled for last season, and he's done it for two years at the Sharks now. And the other thing that I mentioned just to Wilfred the other day, I think it was as well, is that he's played 22, 23, and 20 games the last three years, and that includes a one or two rep games as well in there that, that kept him out. Like He's, he's been durable too, per se. Oh, 100%. And he's in everything, and he's goal-kicking. It's just that's why he scores so well. It's just good to watch too. It's good to have some players on your side that you just like watching play footy as well. Even if you were toying up between a Heinz and a Cleary, I'm having both. I'm not leaving either of them out. But if you were toying up between, you'd take Heinz over Cleary just because of that start of the first draw. But there's no way in the world I could leave Heinz out. I, I would be that nervous watching Heinz running around without him when he's the most favoured captain that week. And then your captain gets a HIO early or something and you do, all of a sudden you're like 400 points behind. Yeah, the, you can't do it. Put Hines in your side, everyone. If you really want Cleary, then have them both. But don't ever leave Hines out. Nakora is the second guy that we're going to talk about on the gun list. He had a career season, 70 points per game, eight points up on his first gun season, to 62 points per game in 2022. Because of that person, he comes in at 710,000, which is a bit of a shame because it's pretty expensive. But when you look at his numbers, like if you're going to get a premium back rower, um, I would have no qualms getting him considering the matchups that he has as well, because he's playing some pretty favorable edges himself. I, I think one of the biggest things for me is 11 of his 24 games, he went 70 plus. Um, so that's a big deal because he was consistently elite scoring. And even though he went up from 62 to 70 points per game, he still scored the same amount of tries last year. He had eight tries and that eight tries is actually in 24 games. So he was actually a worse strike rate in 2022 where he did eight tries in 2022 games. That's fantastic. Um, because we're not relying on tries for that uptick in scoring. What we were relying on is what I like to rely on for for second rows to score their points, and that is that his work rate went up. You know, he had a 56 base base attack, so his raw base plus his offloads and tackle breaks in 2022. And from that 56 points per game, he went up to 62 in 2023. And six points is a massive difference because if you have a look at 2022, 45% of the time he went 60 plus. That shot up to 63% of the time he was going 60-plus in 2023. That was the big difference. His work rate and what he was doing on his runs was far better. Uh, and I think that was just him maturing as a footballer. So I expect that we can see similar. I would love to have him for the early rounds. 
it's just a little bit too expensive for my build. But if someone went Barnsley, I've decided I want to spend on one key gun firing second rower to get some attack in the opening rounds. David Fafita's not there. Nicker has got a, a, a good case to say he's the number one guy with Fafita out. Yeah, he does. He's sort of moving into... Um, he looks like a player that's just matured into his best sort of years, doesn't he? At an NRL level as well. The thing I will say with him now, he just doesn't hurt you. He, like, he's been consistent. Doesn't turn up, does he? No, even in his game last year with two tries, he didn't hit 100. So just you know, he never goes large, but he's quite consistent. Like, he's the type of player that as soon as you sort of those mids that you're trying to get rid of, you sort of want to get him in there just for that consistent guy that's going to get you between 65 and 90 every week. Yeah, I, I couldn't start with him just because of that fact. If you're looking at a bit of X-Factor to go turn up and sort of get your head, I don't think he's that guy, but he's certainly not going to let you down. I mean, even his low scores aren't bad. Like, he's that consistent, and he's only going to get better as a footballer too. So I couldn't push back on anyone picking him. Might be the year that we see him start to get those tons. I think that's the next evolution of his super coach game that we need to see. We need to see him getting good, good. Uh, those tons, but he's doing all the right things. He's working harder. And uh, I think that he's got upside to his try scoring, which is good because eight and eight tries, that could easily go to 10 to 12 tries. And oh, yeah, he's got the potential of being one of those back rows that can score 14 mm. to 16 here, doesn't he? Especially if they can get their attack sorted. So definitely, um, he's, yeah, he's one to look at, that's for sure. I'll be watching him. Uh, I'm just going to mention Kennedy quickly and not go into him. So I don't mean to be disrespectful, but the reason I'm going to mention him is just to give him some credit. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he's he's a fullback. And he just, at 65 points per game, he just cannot cut it with the other fullbacks. But you got to mention that, you know, he, he has been scoring well and he can, through a good period of draw, go well. Like the Sharks at the start of last year, round 1 to 10, had a really good draw again, very similar. And he scored 73 points per game. Dropped off as the season went. So certainly he can get near those elite level guys. He's just not quite there, is he, for you to consider over the other ones. And it's just too much of a risk that you're going to get, you know, a solid 65 average and you're going to get five or six fullbacks averaging 75 plus. And you're going to pay for that. And you're going to want that in your team. At 664,000, he's just not cheap enough to bother um, even trying to chase for that. So... Well done, Will Kennedy. You had a good season again. You bounced back from your 52 in 2022 and none of us are going to pick you anyway. Um, so. <laughs> oh, that's it though, Buzz. You're you, you punching out 88s and then you've got, you know, Ponger and Latrell punching out 150s. Ronaldo Mulatalo. Jeez. Ronaldo always annoys me in, on so many different levels. But last year for Supercoach, he had a career year. It still only went to 62 points per game. The year before, is at 61. I think it's a bit of a fallacy that um, we just assume that Ronaldo's been this gun for a few years. He's just scraping over gun status with 61 and 62 the last two years. And he comes into this season at 627000 Now, it's not super expensive, but it's out of the 500s, which is where I consider you're spending quite a bit on a centre wing. But the most concerning factors for me with Ronaldo Perso. He had 21 tries last year for his 62 points. Now, I always have defended guys like him and said, look, guys like him or Sebo, that's what they do. They get their points from tries, but they score all the time. So you basically expect it, you know. But the problem was that 21 tries was his career best. And then, you know, 17 the year before was his best before. And he only went up one point per game. So, and he only had one ton. So it's like, oh, 21 tries is probably unsustainable. And, you know, those extra tries didn't really amount to much because he had some absolutely putrid, putrid weeks and he, his base went down a lot as well. Yeah. He had a 
had a nine in 80 minutes against the Warriors. Just it's awful when you look at it. He actually had two nines, like, and that's the problem. Like to have two nine point scores <laughs> and one of them open the season, like against the Aussie Man, one nine points, and then like you said, he had nine point one against the Warriors, where I think they predominantly pretty scored pretty well the Sharkies. Um, so I mean, he's just he's very frustrating to own because he also makes quite a few mistakes. Last year, he bombed a heap of tries. I have to think that he's going to improve this year because last year I saw so many mistakes out of him and just really bad errors. I think that he will be better this year. He could be someone that goes on a good run to start with personally, but because of that downside with him, I just couldn't do it because he's just as likely to throw up a nine as what he is to throw up a 75. And that's the big issue with me paying that for him. Like, And I mentioned someone like Sivo that relies on tries too. Obviously, he's suspended now, but he's like 75K cheaper as well. You know, it's a lot easier to go to the five, the, the early to mid 500s in price point than to go to the 600s in price point. So Militalo's kind of priced himself out for me, but wouldn't be surprised if he ends up, you know, coming out pretty good on that draw because he has done some good things, especially against the Dragons, where he's averaged sort of 90 plus the last couple of years. This doesn't go massive though, does he? Like you touched on Suvo with those three games at um, at Tombak Stadium for the out of the first four, he would have been a little bit of a sneaky sort of five. When he does score tries, he sort of goes over 100. You could go three weeks in a row and score 100, and then before he scores a 20-odd, well, it's all yeah. Even when he scores tries, he doesn't go big. That's the thing. He's never going to hurt you. Only more, oh, he's put into my ever-again basket, really, because he just doesn't go big even when he scores. Any player that's uh, going to score a 19 against the Tigers and then a 9 against the Warriors for 80 minutes, two weeks in a row, <laughs> I think there's better options. So, everyone, let me unveil my big balls pod that is in my back line that I don't think is going to move. And I'm going to have to sell it because I've just absolutely shitted on Ronnie Militarlo and this guy's pretty simple. Guitar, is <laughs> Oh, Sione Katar, my boy. Look, you know why it's a big difference? It all comes down to value. You know, I've said so many times to different people, how good someone is in Supercoach always comes down to value. You know, you can have someone who's absolutely terrible as an option and you look at someone and go, why do you play Supercoach for when they're 600K? And then exactly the same guy with exactly the same output at 250K, you say, that's a great pickup. Now, it's all about value. Ronnie is close to 630K. Sione Katoa is 493,000. That is cheap. And he's also someone that hasn't been maintaining his average. He's actually in a value category because he's priced at 48 points per game, which is the worst that he's basically done in recent years. He's coming off 60 points per game in 2022, 58 in 21 and 59 in 2020. He was actually super consistent in that 57 to 60 odd range and then dropped down to 48 in 2023. So arguably there's a dozen points of value there and it was just a rough year for him because he's young enough at 26 where that's probably the case. And the other things that I like, and the main one is going to always be that price point of 493. But look, when you have a look at his 2022 season where he did go better, he only had three games below 40. And he had a 46 base base attack. Now that all dropped off in 2023, but that could very well be an anomaly. And he could be, you know, up to 12 points in value. He did have games per so like Ronnie Militalo. He threw up an eight point game. But to defend that, I'll say he only did it once, mate. Only once, not twice. Well, I mean, he's, yeah, he's, he had a couple of 20s after that were his lowest ones. <laughs> I think he's, his floor is higher than Ronnie's. I don't, yeah, I don't mind him. I've had Katara in, in an enemy side the last couple of seasons when you sort of pick the draw and go for a run. He's sort of more... First month is ballsy because of that whole first month factor. You don't know how sides are going to come out. But I would, he's definitely one to look at as a big ball spot, for sure. He could come out and 
get a couple of really good scores, average sort of 70-odd to 80-odd over those first four rounds and then the buy, and then you can sort of look at maybe using the cash to upgrade to somewhere else or someone else. It's got a bit of a draw, but um, I don't hate it, that's for sure, Katara. I'd, I'd take Katara over Mortala. Yeah, and I, I think that he just puts himself in that price category of those other guys in the 400s that people are considering. Um, and, and certainly, like, May might be, you know, a popular one to, to antipod with. You know, May's almost the same price point. Um, I think there's 35K difference. And he's got a hard draw. Katoa's got a good draw. May's like 33% owned or something. Katoa's going to be like 2% owned at the moment. The first, I'll, I'll look at the 2022 season because obviously 2023 we said was bad. 2022 season with a similar type of draw, um, he's actually playing three of the first four sides that they play in that run. He had five tries that he scored in the first five rounds. And he went 15, which was terrible to start with, 80, 78, 71, and 98. You know, that's that's the type of run that you're kind of looking for. Obviously, he's got that dud in there, which you're hoping not to get. But even if you do, you're still going to take the dud and average, you know, to 70 across the five rounds, maybe. Uh, so I'm going it, and it's all based on the value of the, the price point. I want someone that's a bit of a strike weapon in there. And if it doesn't work out, it's not going to hurt you like someone who's 650K. So I'm doing it. It's a big wolf pod for a reason, though. Might back backfire. Maybe I get 15s and 20s out of him for a bit, but I'll I'll see how we go with that one. The falling guns and the rising guns. You know, a fallen gun that I'm not interested in at all. That I think is owned by more people than Sione Katawa is is uh, is Talakai. He has just fallen off a cliff. You know, he yeah. had that good season in 2022 where he went 60 plus. Um, Wasn't even a good season. Well, he had that massive game that really propped it up, didn't he? Um, but that was the first time that he got the 60 points per game, and it's the first time in his career that he actually got the basically 80-minute roll. 2023, he dropped down to 56 points per game. And I just, at 569,000, he does look reasonably priced. But when you look at the numbers per so, you know, he only went 60-plus 30, uh, 33% of the time in 2023, 30% of the time in 2022. He just doesn't go 60-plus. He just has far too many lower-scoring games. And his base, base attacks like worse than Katoa's is. <laughs> like, he's got a 43 base, base attack. And you'd think with someone like him, again, we make these assumptions that he's got all these tackle breaks and offloads in him. He's only got 11 points per game in tackle breaks, offloads. It's not massive. And when you're looking at a guy that doesn't score many tries, you know, he only had five last year. And he's not actually a noted try scorer. It goes to their wingers with their try scoring. Uh, and a lot of the time, it's a cutout pass or a kick to um, he's outside winger as well. So he did have the one ton, uh, two tons last year per, so 103 and 106. But the fact that he had those two tons and still only averaged 56 probably tells you how bad a lot of his games are and how tough it is to bank on him. Yeah, he's the, he had the, a bit of an anomaly where we on, well, I think it was a three-game run two years ago, and he had that massive score. Rest in peace, Morgan Hart. Which was mainly all in the first half when he absolutely just, um, just resold Morgan Hart for that first half of football. So that was a bit of an anomaly, really, for the rest of him. But he's that guy, like you see, oh, he's a big tenor, and you know, you think he's got the good base, and he just the, the eye test says that. But when you look at the stats, he doesn't really, he's not that involved, doesn't brush anywhere near as many tackles as you do, and you're not scoring attacking points. He's yeah, just always around that sort of 40 to 50 mark, 30 mark, 40 mark, 50 mark. He's got a lot of those scores in him. So I got no interest starting him the start of the season. I'm also not convinced he'll end up being. That left centre by the end of the season order. Yeah, I'm not sure either how they're gonna uh, how they're gonna work that. Some good juniors coming through, but yeah, oh, it's, it's not enough there to say to me even with that draw that yeah he's gonna carve up. Yeah, I, I got him in draft. 
oh, reasonably late. Don't remember when, maybe around nine or something. And I'll sort of, I'll take that and that'll be okay. But a rising gun, Teague Wilton. Uh, he went to 60 points per game in 2023. Unfortunate knee injury ended his season. 17 games still. So it was a decent sample size. Uh, I'm going to say that I think that he actually underachieved. I think that uh, I was worried about him being around that sort of 55 to 60 mark. And I never had him last year to start with. I don't know a few few guys did, but I think there's an expectation that he's going to be 65 plus and he's going to be an out and out gun. And it just didn't quite materialize for him. He comes in at 610,000, which is, you know, a bit of an awkward price. It's not super expensive, but it's not really cheap enough where you can go, look, it's going to be some value there enough. Uh, I did like that his base was at 48 per game, which is good for him. He is a, a bit of a worker on that edge, which you don't always see, especially with the young guys. Um, but he also had, what, six tries last year. And six tries in 17 games is a good strike rate. Like, it's not like you can expect much more than that. He's a bit of a weapon for them on the edge. Like, they do try and hit him and stuff. And, that's a decent strike rate per se. Like he's scoring like 36% of his games that he played last year, uh, but he's still only equated to a 60 point average. And I'm pretty sure that all of those are actually line break tries bar one. So it's a bit of a hard one because I don't really see any value there. Um, I do like him as a footballer. I do think that he probably didn't get, I, I think that a lot of the defensive errors on the, on that edge were, were put on other guys when some of it was actually Teague as well. So I think that's a part of his development too. Um, but there might be a couple of points of value there, but not enough to pay for it. And I just don't think he's shown enough upside yet. Not sort of saying at the super coach. He's definitely got the ability in him. Uh, he's a great line runner. If he can end up getting a good uh, combination with Trindle down that edge, he, he could come into the equation. But yeah, like you said, that price, very awkward. Second round where sort of we all see the mid-range value at. So uh, you're not going to pick a guy like him over someone that's, that's sort of around that 450k mark. It looks like they might make 200k to get up for that that price range. So, yeah, you, you couldn't really consider him to start the season, I don't think. No, there's too many guys that are not much more than him. Um, cough, cough, Cam Murray, 25 grand more. Uh, yeah, well, that's it. If you were going to go out there and that avenue, you'd, you'd definitely take a proven gun with upside. Mm, all, all guys that are cheaper. Um, and even like a that's proper right. lead that we spoke about, it's 568k, you know, 50k difference or whatever. It's, it's just a too awkward price point with the other options available. Uh, look, other rising guns, I put this guy as a rising gun and then saw that he fell like 0.4 per game short in 2022 of hitting 60 points. But Blake Braley, uh, I've kind of expected good things from him for a while now. I'm coming through the juniors, he's very well respected, him and his brother. And they obviously chose Blake over his brother to be their number nine. And Jaden's over at Newcastle now. And the last two years, he has improved. He's gone from scoring 49 points per game in both 2020 and 2021 to scoring 59 and 57 in the last two years. But he just hasn't been able to take the next step up. Um, one of the good things with him is that he is a, a pretty good price point at 579000 Um, So you you know you're going to get solid scoring from him and you're not going to have to pay too much. He's around that Appy price point, though, and that's probably going to kill him because if Appy's kicking, he's a far better option. But at 25 there is a chance that he can step up and improve again. I think one of the things that's been missing from Braley, he's had a decent base at 43 per game, although not great for an 80-minute hooker. Uh, and he's he's shown glimpses of attack with a few assists, only one try last year. But that's been one of the staples of him coming through the juniors. He looked like a really good attacking hooker. And we just haven't seen that in NRL level yet. Maybe this is a year. Maybe the starting draw 
he's going to come out and fire uh, and be a lot better. But at 42% of the time, going 60 plus last year, if he does that again, it's going to be really poor value and a poor purchase. But if he can go, you know, 63, 64, six, seven points of value and get in the 60s, he might be a bit of a smoky option, especially if he can fire early. Couldn't do it per se, too risky, but I am interested to see how he actually develops this year. Yeah, definitely one to watch. Uh, I'd like to see more attack out of him. I'd like to see more scoots uh, at critical times every time he half. And uh, I'd like to see a little bit more. He sort of did develop a bit more last year with his placement, putting forwards through gaps and stuff closer to the line last year as well. So, But he, he just, yeah, for super cash wise, definitely. Um, he's at that point where he's NRL-wise, where he should be coming into his best years now as a hooker. So he could definitely improve. And if he can find that sort of niche where he, he's got his game into that aspect, then he could become super coach relevant. But um, definitely not at the start of the season. Controversial one that I'm going to say is a mistake. Um, look, I just don't like Jesse Ramian very much as a footballer. I'm sorry uh, for super coach. And he's gone downhill for threes in a row. And I do think that, you know, people will look at him like Talakai because he's a, he's a fallen gun. 2021, he averaged 63 points per game. He's just, he's gone downhill for three years in a row and 63, 59, 57 points isn't a good trend for him. Um, he is getting older now as well, Ramian. He's always one of those guys that teases us with a solid base of 33, which is a couple of points better than his other center wing in Talakai. But his evade stats, his tackle breaks and his offloads as well. Look, he's 47 per game in base base attack and that's quite good. And I think that we all look at that and go, wow, that's nice. Um, but that all equates to 57 points per game, which includes a mountain of tries last year. Like he had a dozen tries last year. He, he's not going to score better than a 50% strike rate again. And he doesn't normally either. So even with that good draw, you look at that and go, well, what's he got in him? He does have the odd big game. St. George last year threw up 120. He does play them early. 109 against the Gold Coast. But I just... He's just got too many mediocre games. And I actually think he's very similar to Talakai Perso, except I think he's getting more towards the end of his career than what Talakai is faster. Oh, I 100% agree. Uh, similar to Katani Staggs at the, the Broncos too. You know, the, the consistency there is not there. And um, the Sharks aren't really dominant left side or right side. They go both sides, which sort of goes against those guys as well. They have the base, but they don't really just hammer home down one side, so I think that goes against him, but he's sort of never really been consistent, as he, Ramian? He'll go through a period where he'll have a good month and then, you know, he just sort of, he just goes missing that sort of, well, meant the Katani Stags reference to the similar type of players, even though Stags has got a lot more ahead of him than Ramian does, so yeah, I, I, I can't really look at him. He get, if you can pick him on the right run when he drops in price and goes cheap and make it a quick 150k if he got trades up his sleeve at some point through the season, but he's one of those guys you sort of you're definitely not going to ever miss out on owning him, and if you do own him, you're probably going to be disappointed for what you were expecting. Yeah, and he, it's so often he can go like four games in a row not hitting a fifty, and it can be games where you expect him to, um, and it's just you can't tell. So it's very hard with Jesse Ramian. I want to talk about mids and cheapies because we can have a couple of love fests here with some of these guys. Um, one of them I'm not going to have a love fest with is Trindle, but he's the first guy we're going to talk about. I have looked at Trindle pretty hard per se because, again, number six, tough position. What do I do there? He's also a dual, 439,000, ticks that. 
only played 68 minutes a game in 2023. He's going to play 80 minutes a game in the halves with Moylan gone. There's some value there. Uh, he's already priced at 43 points per game. Now, I looked at his stats as a starting half last year, and he was around a 51, uh, which is you know, a good eight points per game there. He did kick some of those games, though, which is a bit awkward because it's probably going to bring him down to about 48 points a game or something. But his base is just putrid, and that's the worst thing with him. Like, when you're looking at Trindle and you, you think, oh, yeah, there's, there's definitely some, some value there. His base last year was 13. Now, you might say, oh, well, he didn't play 80 minutes a game. Okay, well, let's factor that in and put him up to 15. His 15 points per game in base is just awful. And unfortunately, that's been him. And I mentioned that he averaged 51 as a starting half in 2023. Four games in 2022, he only averaged 45 as a starting half. You know, it's it's not good reading because if you get like the 2022 version, which didn't have any goal kicking in it, it's probably closer to the mark than the 51, to be honest, unless he improves. It's only a couple of points of value. So, like, I was kind of excited with him per se because I needed something there when Jaden Campbell went down. I didn't want to pay for it. And at 439, he was a similar price point. But I just, when I looked at the numbers and stuff, I went, oh, can he even make anything of this good draw that he's got? He is young enough maybe that he can improve. How do you see him starting off this season as the um, the starting half now that Moreland's gone? Uh, super coach-wise, I just don't see the value to start with for those at that point you brought up. Not going to be a hell of a lot more than where he's at. So I don't think he's a gun. Like, oh, yeah, he's going to make 200K and an upgrade and that sort of thing. I think he could be sort of stuck around that price all season. Have his good games in between. There'll be games where he might get three tries and then the next week he might score 17. That's the problem with him. It's not like he's super cheap. It's um, uh, it's, it's that awkward sort of price. Price depends on the rest of your team build, I suppose. If you want to take the punt and he might get a, get 100 or... Get some attacking stats in those first three rounds and make a good bit of quick cash and you can upgrade into someone. With 5-8, there's really not a lot of options. It makes it tricky, especially said with Campbell out now too, because he looked like he was going to be losing value at a similar price, right? Folks, and um, tight to a decent draw. So uh, he's a no for me, Kennedy. It's, uh, I mean, uh, Trindle, he's a no for me. But um, I'll be watching to see how they, they combine. Yeah, I think that it's one of those ones where... Um... There's, every year there's these guys that you go, look, it doesn't look very good, but, you know, there's always a chance. And there's some there's a, a couple of guys that bust out and have a big score and they end up making money early and you regret not having them. He could be one of those guys, but he's in a bucket of about 30 of them and probably three or four of them will end up hitting. Um, whether it's Trindle or not, they buy a lottery ticket and guess. Um, they might be. It's not the worst to start with him. I don't um, think it's going to hurt you if you don't, though. It's not going to hurt you if you don't. Uh, you can jump on him later. Um, what I'd probably suggest if if you start with, say, a Munster because you want him over Dylan Brown and you decide to go that route and Munster doesn't perform, uh, you could always downgrade to someone like Trindle if he is. Uh, it can be a bit of a, a parachute from someone else like that. That might be some value during the season after we see a couple of games. Uh, Iroh is very highly owned. I think that you know the, the 219900 price point is why everyone's just putting him in as a placeholder and also because... He is the next coming for the Sharks. So kind of he, next cab off the rank, especially now that Connor Tracy's gone, he will get a job. But at the moment, he doesn't have one, and that's not going to change come TLT. So I don't think you can really carry him. Um, we'd need to see like Talakai moved and him put in the centres if if we're going to look at him. It's it's one of those ones per se where I think that some teams are going to probably carry someone where they're hoping that he's going to get a job. I don't know if I can do it with anyone this year. I've said before that because of the buys every round now, it's very tough to to carry enough, even if you didn't end up play down the track. And I don't think that 
Kyle Iroh's down the track is very soon unless there's a major injury. You know, it might they're going to win games to start the year. With with this draw, they're going to win games. They're going to be going well on the table. It might be origin time before you get Iroh playing a game, and I don't think that's enough to be able to put him in and just hold him as enough for a while. No, you're just hoping. Oh, yeah, more than anything, I mean, if they go through, don't get any injuries, you mightn't even see much going time at all. <laughs> with the amount of lack of genuine cheapies there are this year, I really don't think you can afford to just carry a guy hoping he might get a game. So I think you've got to try and squeeze the lemon everywhere that you can to get money early on to build your team value so you can get the guns in as quick as possible. So you're going to be juggling mid-ranges and that sort of thing. You, you, I don't really think you can afford to have a, a cheapie on there on hit and hope. I mean, he could come out and do his ACL in the second round in Reggie's so you don't, and then you're stuck with a guy you can't get rid of. That's a bit of a dangerous game. He's definitely not playing anytime soon. No, uh, I expect to see him this year, but you just can't tell when. Uh, let's finish off on some front rowers. Royce Hunt. Got a bit of attention because he's only three hundred thirty-three thousand, and geez, we need—we're all searching for these front rowers that might give us some sort of value because we don't want to spend on four positions very much. Some of us will get that right. Some of us won't. It's a bit of a lottery. There's quite a few in the mix. <laughs> mm. Twenty-five minutes a game. He actually went down four minutes a game in twenty twenty-three. Um, he went from forty points per game in twenty twenty-two to only thirty-three last year. Maybe there's a bit of value. Had a look at it a bit more though, and look, there's there's some low minute games in there, and I think that that might help him. He's got games where he's only played 13, 11, 14, and 14 and 14 minutes, so that's five of his 19 games where he's played really low minutes. But with the rotation and everything, I'm not sure there's going to be enough value there. That we have gotten some news that there might be a knee injury to Hamlin ULA. Um, that could springboard him a little bit. But I'm going to talk about this other bloke at the same time. Hazelton is the other front row we're going to finish on. And I'm going to have just that love fest with Hazelton because it look it's probably not going to work out and I'm not going to start with him. But geez, I like the look of him and I like the way he plays. I also like some of his numbers too. He actually had um, five games where he played over 30 minutes last year, averaging 35 minutes across those five 30-plus minute games. And he had almost a 41 raw base in that time. Uh, he he really ticks a lot of boxes on his PPM. 1.41 PPM in 2023, 1.24 in 2022, although 2022 was only one game. But he did maintain that 1.41 PPM across 17 games last year, which is a big deal. He's only 358k himself, so a similar price point. And I sort of thought that Royce Hunt lost minutes because of Hazleton. Um, and to me, he's a bit of an up-and-comer. And he gave them a lot last year at the Sharkies. I think a lot of Sharks fans personally don't like his lateral movement and stuff, but um, certainly can be found out a little defensively. But it's because he's a massive human and he's an old-school front rower. I like what I saw from Hazelton, and I would probably bank on him to get more minutes if there was an injury because he only averaged 25 a game. Now, for him to throw up 35 points a game at 25 minutes, you can imagine like the translation of him going to 35 minutes uh, which isn't out of the question if they do have an injury there. Uh, that's going to go to 45 to even late 40s as an average and be huge value for him. So I'm not going to start with him, like I said, but I love the look of him. The numbers say that he could actually benefit and he is young and still getting better. So there is a lot to like there. I'd certainly take him over Hunt, but I can't take either of them, obviously. <laughs> yeah, he's nowhere near as old as he looks. <laughs> he's a big lumber and number, and he's that old school sort of just no-nonsense Big unit in the middle, not built physically massive like Adonis, but just he's just a big body in the middle that gets the work done. I like him. Um, as you said, minutes are the key. 
I mean, if he could pick up that extra 10 minutes, he'd be genuine uh, mid-range sort of the lower end GP options. And like, yeah, just with 100k and upgrade somewhere else. They all sort of cancel themselves out. Even Hammy and Ueli's there. you got Hammy and Ueli, Hunt and Nasdaq, and they all sort of pinch the minutes off each other. So it's one to watch, that's for sure. Yeah, definitely. Um, we'll see if what Ueli's injury is like. And you can always downgrade someone or move across to one of these guys if they're looking good. I, I actually, I'm, I'm going to pinpoint um, Hazel and have a a good year again for the Sharks. I just don't know how many minutes or how much they're going to invest in him. That's all. Look, one of these guys, per se, might even end up out of the side or maybe they end up with both of them out of the side if there's no interest. It's, that's the other hard thing to tell. But I, I am, to close off on the Sharks, I've got to say I'm keen on having at least one other one other than Hines, which is the other reason I went Katoa. And I do like the really draw. And it is quite hard because I think that a lot of people are going to look at that and go, I do want more than Hines. But the options are really hard because the top ones like Nikora are going to be really expensive. Um, and the other guys like Katoa, Ronaldo, or some of these guys that we don't think are any good really, like uh, their centres at Talakai and Ramian, none of them are slam dunks that they're going to go well anyway with a good draw. So it is a little bit tricky to navigate this too. It's the old hand grenade pod scenario, isn't it? Well, you, you can get one and he's going to either blow up in your hands or you're going to go off and you can throw him away before he does blow up in your hands. If you get the right one, you're going to be off to a good start. Definitely worth thought. I'm the same. I've only got Hines at the moment, but I would really like another shark. Well, it's the only mate I can tell you now, just on the down low. Um, Sione's going to kill it. <laughs> Thank you very much, Perso, for jumping on the podcast. I really appreciate it. We'll obviously get you on more uh, during the season as well. Always going to be on the All-Stars potty, Barty. Uh, always fun talking about footy. Thanks, mate. Good luck with the season to start off with. And for everyone listening, we'll be busting out a heap of team preview this week. So make sure that you're listening. You can download, stream on SoundCloud, iTunes, Spotify, Amazon, everywhere. Make sure you subscribe, though. Really important because then you get the episodes straight away. Share them around, too. It's really great when you share them around and give them to your mates and everything and have a listen and stuff. Love getting the new listeners in. Uh, you can also make sure you hit up our sponsors and partners of the All-Stars podcast. Picklebet, great betting partner of the All-Stars podcast. Use All-Stars as your affiliate promo code when you sign up, and they'll take great care of you with some offers and things. Uh, and also oneworldcourier.com.au. If you've got a business or you work for a business and you do any type of shipping, no matter how big or small, hit up oneworldcourier.com.au. And when you fill out the form when you sign up with them online as well, you can pop down All-Stars as your, your reference as well or where you heard from. One World Courier, and they'll take great care of you with some good early rates and things they can throw your way. But it is TLT for round 1A. Good luck with analysing that. Good luck with building your teams this week. We'll be back with a heap more podcasts and can't wait to get some real footy in a week's time. Thanks very much for listening, everyone. Hey now, you're an all-star. Get your game on, go play. Hey now, you're a rock star. Get the show on, get 